Welcome to the Horizon Search Podcast, where we dive deep into the minds of extraordinary professionals, uncovering the stories, inspiration, and wisdom that have shaped their careers. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Today's guest is Cordell Jacks, CEO and co-founder of Regenerative Capital Group, a Canada-based fund that empowers aspiring entrepreneurs through acquisition of small businesses, nurturing them to incorporate social impact and regenerative practices into their business strategies, and fostering an ecosystem of purpose-driven, profitable growth. I'll now let Cordell share a bit about his background in his own words. Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Cordell Jackswell, right now, my business card says CEO and co-founder of Regenerative Capital Group. And I run that with my business partner, Mike Miller. But beyond that, I'm a father to two young children, a four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-month-old husband. I'm a community member and son, uncle, relative in the communities I live in, and someone who, beyond that, is purposely driven to make impact in the world with the unique experiences and assets I bring. Cordell Jacks is many things to many people. That's a nice answer. So what is regenerative capital and what are you doing these days? Yeah, so maybe a little bit of of context. Regenerative Capital Group is a fund that we've set up and it's Canadian-based. I'm here living on Vancouver Island. And I started this fund with my business partner, as I said, a gentleman who actually recruited me out of business school quite a number of years ago. We went our separate ways as he went on to buy small and medium enterprises across Canada and, and essentially put young entrepreneurs in place. And I went off and spent a career in social finance, social impact, international development, circular economies, a whole number of different areas in social innovation. And about two years ago, this mentor, this gentleman who now happens to live 10 minutes north of me here near Campbell River, he contacted me. He had just had the successful exit of one of his businesses and was looking to really get some help on his social impact thesis. And so we started working together. And really, the design concept was, how might he give back to the entrepreneurship community in Canada, which had made him who he was and you know what he really espoused in entrepreneurialism. And very quickly, we came to learn about search and ETA, not knowing much about that, even though he had spent his career essentially doing search and ETA. We learned about the ecosystem that had really been developing in the US over the past 35 years and really looked at the Canadian economy to say, okay, well, this is an emerging space, a developing space that we can contribute to, bring some of his expertise and wisdom. And the question then became, okay, how do we do that? And how do we not just help an ETA community emerge here in Canada, but how might we add to it? How can we add an impact lens to what we create? And so ultimately, we went on a bit of a discovery journey. What type of impact would we like to support with the companies that our young entrepreneurs will acquire and that we can support? And that really brought us to the term regenerative. You know, Looking at the history of impact, we've had ESG, CSR, and a whole host of others, B Corps, creating shared value. And we face the same issue that many others face, which is an overwhelm of, well, what what kind of metrics and what are we going to to really look, what type of outcomes are we going to look to create? And that led us to regenerative, which is what we believe is the epitome and the evolution of all of these different aspects of impact scaffolding that have come before us. And regenerative is maybe somewhat of a a new term for many folks in the audience, but regenerative really begins with the recognition that the economy, business, and society don't sit apart from nature. 
but within it. And the question then lies, you know, if nature, the 3.8 billion years of evolution that's happened before us, has designed thriving, evolving, resilient systems and networks, how do we apply those principles to our business strategies? And thus the value we create through business and our networks and economies around us. And so taking this principle of regeneration, how can we apply that in the natural opportunity that is, you know, the baby boomer succession or the silver tsunami that many call it? How can we use this natural opportunity of transition points to not only transition ownership of businesses, but really to transition the leadership, the capital behind that leadership, and the DNA of these organizations so that they are taking a wider lens to value creation, not just financial bottom line and financial capital, but all forms of capital, looking at the built, the social environment, the ecological environment, and all of those aspects that are really the components that we draw value from and are the basis of where we draw value from and make sure that we're net positive, we're giving back with what we do. And ultimately, the thesis of a regenerative capital group is that by taking a wider and regenerative lens to value creation, this isn't just you know more impactful, this is just better business. And as we go into a more volatile, more VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and an ambiguous business ecosystem and time in our lives. This is just going to prove to be better business and more profitable in the end. And so that's really what we're all about. Thank you for that answer. Thank you for also reminding me what VUCA stood for. I was thinking in my head, what was that? When we spoke a while ago, you were meeting with universities across Canada. I have a two-part question for you. Are you still meeting with universities? And what has been your finding as you've been meeting with the universities? Yeah. So as part of the genesis of this project, you know, one of our questions were, you know, how can we support the ETA ecosystem? And so part of understanding that was doing a landscape study of what is the Canadian Business School Network doing currently? And, and we were surprised to see when we started this project that really the answer was nothing yet. ETA was not part of the curriculum at any of the business schools. There are now two business schools of those many that we've surveyed across Canada that have just recently launched ETA courses, either at the MBA level or at the executive ed level. And so again, that was where we thought, okay, well, maybe we give a gift as part of a philanthropic initiative to grow this ecosystem. And we took a lot of inspiration from Jan Simon, who many of the listeners may know, who's written a fantastic book on search funds and ETA, and as well has been the, the catalyst to ETA programs at IESE in Barcelona and the International Search Fund Center there and, and the International Search Fund Study that comes out of there biannually. He's also launched programs at Oxford, Cambridge, and HSA in Paris amongst other networks that he supported ETA growth in. And we spoke to Yan and said, you know, we'd like to get this going in Canada. Maybe we'll start a national search fund center here in Canada. And that was a bit of where we started diving down and looking at where we could make impact. But as I was meeting with deans and leaders of the entrepreneurship centers in Canada, many of these business schools said, wow, we hadn't heard of search or ETA either. We need this as part of our entrepreneurship curriculum going forward. We want to get this going. How can we work with you? And so rather than focusing on one business school and where we could get this up and going, we said, how might we create a network of these business schools and really get this thriving? A lot of different players is a good thing in terms of the opportunity of the number of businesses that are turning over. And then we furthered that by saying, look, 
we believe of utmost importance in tackling some of the big issues of our time, kind of the poly crisis of a myriad of issues of mental health crisis, you know, biosphere degradation, more inequality, more all of these different issues that are facing our civilization and the challenges of our day. How can we not just get ETA going and use this as a platform for that ownership transition? But again, how can we get regenerative curriculum being developed at these schools? And we just think that, you know, between the platform of the proven model of ETA and the incredible success rate it's had, the opportunity that's happening and the lens I think we should all be taking. If we're not training our business students, let alone any of our students and taking a regenerative approach to solving the biggest issues of our days, then what are we training them in? This is a short-sighted if, if we're not tackling any of these bigger issues that we face in our day. And so part of where we're at right now is working with a number of different business schools and some hosting organizations in a pan-Canadian network to get this up and going. And additionally to that, working with other enabling environment actors, so investors, philanthropic funds and private foundations, family offices, and even the federal government to say, what does it look like to make a systems play here to unlock capital that's not traditionally in this space, blended finance, patient capital, so that we can move this entire ecosystem to not just, you know, better transition of business, but this platform as an opportunity for a more just, more regenerative, more sustainable society. Nice. I don't know if in those talks you had a chance to speak with the mayor of Vancouver, but he has a business background and I believe EY's Entrepreneurship of the Year Award as well. So I thought perhaps he would be particularly interested in search funds as he looks to revitalize and grow the Vancouver and I guess lower mainland economy. I haven't yet. Let's set it up. Would love to talk some. I know Vancouver was trying to be the greenest city in the world by 2020. I think they achieved that. And Vancouver is definitively leading in Canada in terms of a very progressive, environmentally positive city. So let's do it. Nice. Well, that sounds really fascinating and just a huge vision that you have for Canada and I suppose the world with Canada kind of leading the way in some respects, particularly as you speak about regenerative, a regenerative approach. Could you talk at all about uh, the cohort that you're looking to form as you start regenerative capital? Yeah. And I just want to dovetail on something you just said, sure. there, which is important. You know, first of all, it's not like we're the, the first in Canada. There's a number of search fund investors. There's a lot of folks who have been working in this space in what has been traditional search and self-funded search. And so uh, we're standing on the giants of those who came before us in our learning and our humility and in, in, in learning the ecosystem well from them. But there is an important piece, which is as opposed to the US, which is a very developed ecosystem in ETA, we don't want to be the laggards that are, you know, 30 years behind. We want to come in and not play catch up, but, you know, plant our own flag here in Canada to say, how do we really nurture this again from an impact lens and all of this? As that relates to the type of entrepreneurs that we're looking for, ultimately, there's a couple of pieces here. We're looking for all of the similar attributes that make a good searcher or a good ETA entrepreneur, and that they have to be incredibly ambitious. They have to be willing to handle complexity. They have to be able to build strong teams around them. They have to have just grit, perseverance, just an attitude of possibility. But in addition, and maybe as importantly as all of those other traditional search and ETA attributes, 
is we're looking for some very socially minded folks. And luckily for us, you know, I've spent the last year presenting at MBA programs across Canada. This next generation of folks are really looking not just to be personally and financially satisfied and abundantly successful, but are really looking to use their life's path and the, you know, looking for meaning in their career to tackle some of these big issues that you know are facing all of us, whether it be climate change or pollution or mental health or all of these things I listed before. And so I'll tell you, the interest has been very strong. And even as I've continued my learning going down into the US and being at ETA conferences and search boot camps and all of this, the interest has been strong there saying, you know, traditional search investors aren't asking us the people on my cap table are not asking me about my social impact lens. We want to work towards social impact. And so I think the timing is very well in terms of let's add more to this. This platform can be so much greater in terms of its impact beyond the incredible financial returns and, and all the other benefits that it provides. And so we're really looking for those folks that look beyond the self-interest or the career wealth aspirations, but how can I make a mark in this world? How can I use this platform that I'm being purchased or supported to purchase to do more than just return some great profits? How can this be a catalyst for the bigger impact I seek to make in my life? And so we're really looking for people that are inspired and internally motivated by those types of questions. Nice. And you're drawing from the great country of Canada, not just British Columbia in your applications? Correct. This is pan-Canadian. And so ultimately, we're going to start our first cohort. Actually, the applications are going to be open for the next three months, starting on Monday, June 19th until September 15th. We have a lot to learn as an emerging new fund in terms of our vetting and application process and how we're going to make those difficult decisions that ultimately boil down anywhere from four to six individuals in this first cohort. Luckily, my business partner has spent a career hiring and training incredibly successful individuals, not just ETA entrepreneurs, but people in financial services and elsewhere. And so we've got a lot of best practices as well from our learnings from other folks in the ETA ecosystem, particularly in the U.S., who have been more than generous in helping us jump the learning curve. So these next three months should be an interesting time. And it's a nice place to be to talk to a lot of fantastic, aspiring talent. Excellent. So pan-Canadian and industry agnostic? Industry agnostic. You know, I will say one thing. This is the tension, all cards on the table here. Industry agnostic. And at the same time, in this early years of the fund, we want to demonstrate some strong cases and what it means to make a business transition to a regenerative value creation strategy. And so there are certain businesses or certain sectors where those businesses can make a bigger mark than others. And so it's going to be a fine balance of ultimately, you know, this model relies on the empowerment of the entrepreneur, letting them run with what they're passionate about, bringing their expertise and, you know, social assets to the table. But co-designing with them a regenerative value creation strategy and a path forward that we can not only support them in the benefits they create and the impact that they make, the profits that they make as well, but also really demonstrate some early cases of how any business in any sector taking a regenerative lens to their growth and value creation can be used as a shining example for all others. Makes sense. What surprises have you found as you have been building regenerative capital? Yeah, there's been some real pleasant surprises. Again, being part of the search community and search funder and all of those, 
Again, everyone is so generous in their time and support of each other. I think there's an abundance factor to that, which is there's lots of capital out there, there's lots of dry powder, and there's lots of businesses. Yes, it's a little more competitive in the US and others as, as people turn on and tune into these opportunities. But generally, I've been so surprised at how open and sharing everyone is with their time and information. Additionally, I've been very happily surprised by the number of people that are coming around this ecosystem that we're building up to say, yeah, we love it. It's like we didn't know about searching ETA. We read the Stanford studies. We started to do our homework. This is incredible. How did I not know about this before? That phrase is continuously you know, said to me, how did I not know about this? Or how are we not, how are others not already doing this? And then the regenerative aspects, you know, bringing another lens to this, people are highly, highly motivated. And we have a few ideas, but the other assets and ideas and originality and innovation that's coming to this ecosystem just speaks to, I think, what's a really important aspect of where we go from here, which is it's emergent. There's no blueprint for doing this. These are two great concepts of ETA and regeneration that are coming together. But ultimately, there's no right way to do this. There's no top-down metrics that we're looking at. This is going to be entrepreneur-specific, sector-specific, business-specific, ecosystem, and stakeholder in those ecosystems specific that those willing to journey and learn together are going to come up with some incredible innovations. Why do you think so many people have not heard of this model before? Of ETA? Of ETA search funds in particular? Yeah. I mean, again, my business partner who had been doing this for the past 20 years had never heard of ETA. You know, people know of mergers and acquisitions, but this whole academic network, this whole structure of search that's behind it, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that we as a North American or Western society have really focused our emphasis on entrepreneurship being venture launches and scale. And when you look around us, we have very mature ecosystems. We've got every business school having you know business plan competitions and new venture launches. There are incubators and accelerators anywhere in this country. You can't shake a stick without hitting one. And you know for very good reason, there's funding for every stage of the scale up process. There's mentorship. You know it's a very mature ecosystem. And, you know, there just happens to be an echo chamber that comes from it. And although that is very sexy and very saleable, the bit of the hero's journey, I have the idea, I built it from nothing. You know, we build some archetypal patterns around that as a culture because it is sexy and it is exciting. This seems somewhat less exciting in some ways. Oh, you're taking someone else's business and you're growing it. They're the ones that really had the idea and took it from zero to one. And yes, like huge honor, it takes a very certain person to go from zero to one. And as many of us know, going from one to 100 takes a whole other mindset. And so although at first glance, this doesn't seem as sexy, I think it's actually, you know, as we dig a little bit deeper, a much sexier opportunity, skipping the risky and somewhat degenerative stage of, you know, burn the candle at both ends, midnight oil do whatever you have to do to be one of those eight and 10 or nine and 10 that doesn't fail in the startup journey. Uh, Let's skip that. We've got all these issues, all these challenges we're facing. We don't have time for 80 or 90% of our brightest minds and our most entrepreneurial talent to be failing. We need them to take things that have traction, that have skipped that market fit roller coaster, take those things that have already demonstrated good value in society and make them better. Take these SMEs, these small, medium enterprises that don't otherwise look at their impact at their scale and those same lenses, 
and transform them or transition them to doing that. If we do that, the lifeblood of our economy is made of small and medium enterprises. If we make those transitions there, the ripple effect, the virality of that type of thinking, that regenerative lens, has a bigger opportunity for transition to move us holistically as an economy towards a regenerative economy. And that's what we all want in the end. So I think this is the new sexy here. This isn't just about taking businesses and, and making more profitable. It's taking something good and making it great. I like that. One thing that speaks to me about the model is it seems to kind of match the age-old apprenticeship model, where you have the incumbent talent and the new ideas coming in with mentorship of advisors and investors behind them. So you have kind of all hands on deck, pulling in the same direction, hopefully a lot of lessons learned. There will be unexpected situations, but with more people involved cooperating, I think you have a higher probability of a good outcome or a great outcome, as you say. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think that's a really important point. I think there's a couple of things there. One, we know the ETA model is founded on, the success is founded on taking young early operators and surrounding them with good capital, good mentorship, and all of that is critical to their learning journey and the success of growing these businesses. Add expertise and a history of experience and you can jump some of those or yeah, jump some of those obstacles and hurdles with support. I think as well, you know, as a father of a two and a half month old and a four year old here, you know, it's often said it, it takes a village to raise a child. I think the same goes for what we're trying to do in transitioning to a more just, more sustainable, more equitable economy. If your vision doesn't require an ecosystem around you, the vision isn't big enough for what we need in the time that we have. And so really, I think that that notion of mentorship, that notion of it takes a village, bringing investors, advisors, enabling environment partners is very apt for this because where we need to go is going to take all of us. And all of us is important because again, going beyond a narrow lens, self-centered lens or a business-centered lens to a multi-stakeholder ecosystem lens, again, we all rise together. And so that type of support and relationality, you know, there's particularly for our Canadian audience here as we're really working in a reconciliatory time, you know, going back to all my relations, my relations with my suppliers, my employees, my clients, communities that my business resides in, my relation to the land and the material impacts that our businesses have, that relationality is important. So I think your point is spot on. You spoke of your surprise with this space being so open and friendly, and I share that. It really motivates me and it really makes me want to give back as well. I'd like to pivot a little bit to the challenges that you still face. What challenges have you faced so far in trying to build this regenerative capital group? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. The challenges of getting to this point have been, we are a startup. We're a startup with a very good model that is non-startup-ish. So we faced all the similar challenges, but again, with a great business partner and committed capital behind us, that jumps the learning curve and some of the bigger challenges many face. I think the challenges are mostly going forward in that, you know, regenerative value creation is still a new and emergent field. You know, there are case studies Everywhere from, you know, looking up at the bigger corporations, you know, what Paul Pullman was doing at Unilever to what the B Corp movement has been doing. Those are all good places to draw inspiration from. But again, there's no best practices in this. We have to come into this as a bit of a design challenge. And most human-centric design or life-centric design is, I have no idea what this is going to look like. I can't give you a roadmap or an exact playbook to what you need to do to make this 
go forward. We're going to have to learn this together. And so there's a bit of, uh, I don't know if you know, Ernest Shackleton, when he went to Antarctic, he, the, whether this is true or not, he put out the advertisement of men wanted, you know, hard, arduous journey, safety not guaranteed, huge risks, if successful, maybe some honor and not you know, Did you borrow like that this. for the application for regenerative capital? Maybe we should, but <laughs> I feel it's the same challenge here. Hmm. We don't have the answers. We're looking for those individuals who are going to come on a learning journey with us. And I think there's something important about the humility of, no, this isn't just a private equity playbook. This is something new. This is an area that we all need to move to in an emergent economy. And so that's, I think, the big challenge ahead. But again, with a great ecosystem of partners and others coming around, confidence is gained with bright minds who are values aligned towards, you know, a North Star of where we want to get to. Yeah, two things come to mind when you say that. One is this image, I think we mentioned in a previous conversation of building a bridge as you cross a chasm. And the other is a recent interview I saw with Sam Altman of OpenAI in India. A person in the audience asked him, when is like the next phase going to be done? And he said something along the lines of research doesn't follow a schedule so well or something like that. And it made a lot of sense. Like, you know, it's it's really hard to tell like what it is you need until you get there. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways it does relate to the startup journey in that, yeah, Mm -hmm. we're building a plane as we throw it off the cliff. But again, (laughs) we've we've got good parts to build with. Nice. I was curious, I saw you at SM Bash. I mean, not I wasn't there, unfortunately. I hope to be in the future, but I know you get around. You're very active, not just in Canada, but in the global community as well. How important do you think, I mean, answer this however you like, but how important is it to you to have like appears in different industries? And you mentioned the hero's journey, but in the startup journey as well, because SM Bash isn't exclusively ETA or search funds, I understand. But what kind of input are you looking to get from these type of events and from some of your mentors that are outside of your current domain? Yeah, that's a really good question. Part of this relates to imposter syndrome. So as someone who's had a lot of career pivots, imposter syndrome, I know everyone has imposter syndrome. There's two types of people, people that experience imposter syndrome and people who lie about it. And so as someone who is a continuous beginner in new industries and new areas, you know, it's all about learning as much as possible, as fast as possible, just to be able to sit at the table and be able to understand and speak at least somewhat intelligibly about this. And so I've been on a very steep learning curve and learning search and everything that's been happening in the past 35 years and the multitudes of different variations that have come out of these models and what we can kind of pick and grab, you know, to take into our unique context and our unique relations that we have going here. And so that's been a steep learning curve there. As I mentioned, a steep learning curve, although I've spent my career in social impact and social innovation, really coming to what are the unique parts here that would best fit what we have in this model and these relations again. And then I kind of draw on all of those different career histories I've had in, in circular economy initiatives. That's going to be an important piece of anything we design in business and economy. Like waste is a man-made idea. It's just a design problem. We don't see waste anywhere in nature. And so how do we take that principle, these you know ecological principles to the value creation strategies? I spent time in international development and markets development, markets development for water and sanitation, take the most unsexy products of toilets and water filters, make them aspirational, make them functional, viable markets around them. And those challenging situations in those most difficult contexts with $2 a day consumers, there's lots of insights and learnings that we can take to more developed markets like this in Canada. 
and be able to learn from those. You know, most of my career has been social finance, where one of the biggest insights I've had is that there's no right way to do it and anything is possible. And there are investors in capital that are willing to make good ideas happen regardless of context. And so with that frame of possibility, you know, what are the insights we can take from that realm to say, search doesn't have to be traditional investors with traditional hurdle rates looking for this type of return or this type of flipping of businesses or this type of exit for their money. If it's a good idea, these people will come together to ideate around whatever needs to happen to make this work. And so I think, you know, in some ways, back to that imposter syndrome piece, I've come to embrace what is an important skill for many people, not just myself, but the searchers and entrepreneurs that we're going to be working with, which is a generalist capacity to see multi-stakeholder systems, to see networks, and to just seed ideas and take them and bring them together for whatever the contextual basis of what they need to make work. At this point, are you comfortable in the imposter syndrome mindset? Have you adapted to where that's actually comfortable for you? Yeah, yeah. It's taken me a lifetime of journey to just understand, oh yeah, it's not ADHD mentality that I've pivoted from career to career. It's been a journey to, no, I needed to learn a little bit here, a little bit there to bring this to a unique skill set. And you know that question you get in interviews? It's been a while since I've interviewed, but I used to always get like, oh, tell me about your leadership style. The answer I've always had is I'm a bass guitar player. And I kind of always say, oh, the leadership style is bass playing. I just sit back and I set the groove. Let all the rock stars be rock stars. And I don't need to be a rock star. And I, you know, I can't keep up with the finance guys or the private equity guys. I just don't have that background or experience. And we need all of them. And I can't keep up with the, you know, specific expertise, domain expertise of people in this sector or that sector. And so I've come to really embrace that, like, yeah, just bring the rock stars around. What do we need to do to create a platform for them to succeed? And hopefully that will serve us well as we find rock star searchers and really good companies where they're going to need to do the same. Assemble management teams where they don't have all the skills and expertise. And it is the collective. You know, you want to go quick, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that we didn't touch on with regenerative capital that you'd like to share? Yeah, thanks for asking that. You know, again, this is a space we've got a lot of learning to do. I'm very excited for these first couple of years of cohorts. We have big plans to run multiple cohorts and grow the size of our cohorts. But for now, we've got a lot of learning to do and, you know, a lot of learning to do from our first groups of entrepreneurs that will co-create some of the impacts that we're going to make here. What I would like to say is that it is my hope that in these coming years, as we're at SM Bashes, which I highly recommend to anyone, Canada or the US is a great event and pursuing capital and Sam and the boys, they put on some really good learning events and some fun learning events as well, which is important. I hope we see a transition to those panels and those speakers who aren't just looking at this as a fantastic economic opportunity through searching ETA but are really looking for how we use this platform for greater purpose, meaning, and addressing the issues of our time. And I'd like to see more of that coming forth from non-traditional means, not just let's make our money and then you know philanthropically give back. Or once we're successful, then look at it. We don't have time for that type of Maslowian thinking. We must self-actualize as we do these things. How we do this is as important as what we do. And so I just hope to see 
more of that and hopefully be a contributor to some of that as we have lessons to glean and failures to share as we move forward. Any teasers or things we can look for this summer in the short to midterm from you? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, Monday, June 19th, our our rebranded and relaunched website, which is very nice looking, is going live. Our, as I said, application process, a three-month application process opens up Monday, June 19th till September 15th. Hope to hear from a lot of ambitious potential CEOs and entrepreneurs. October 11th through 13th is going to be our conference in Vancouver. We are inviting searchers, investors, anyone in the ecosystem that is also values aligned around a regenerative journey to come and join us, academic partners, government, others. And other than that, we'll keep you posted as there's lots more to come. Nice. Yeah, I believe you. You're certainly very active and I really admire what you're doing. Thank you so much for talking to us today and look forward to seeing what the future holds for all of us. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for this. And likewise, David, what you've been doing with Horizon Search and sharing the the knowledge, the curriculum, the content that you're putting together has been helpful to me and I know helpful to many others. So keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate that. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Horizon Search podcast. Next week's guest is Stephanie Knight, an expert in ed tech strategy, managing partner of Vitalized Ventures, CEO of Curated.ai, and adjunct professor at Duke University. Tune in to learn how technology is transforming education and how Stephanie has developed strategic frameworks from her time at McKinsey to now. Until then, eyes on the horizon.